We have here what appears to be an alien invasion. And the line between civilization and anarchy is eroding as Out of my way, you punks! Wow! Lunch time! Yeah, I gotta get out of here! Extra pickle, extra ketchup, extra mustard. How about extra get lost? What? What's going on? Oh! <laughs> Aliens have all the fun. Well, the story is a remarkable one. Uh, it, we sent 12 Americans to a distant star system on an alien spacecraft in 1965. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grimerica Show. We're going to be chatting with Len Caston about um, sending uh, people to Serpo. Uh, but first, as always, the great Graham Dunlop. How's it going tonight, buddy? I'm loving it, buddy. How about you? Good. Good. Done, almost done building my garden. That's been a big job. Nice. Got some pesticide-free veggies? Yep. Yeah, I got to do the compost this weekend, and then uh, ready to plant. Right on. But we'll see what happens. You'll have two short months to grow as much as you can. Yep. Then the power will go out, <laughs> and I'll be ready for a couple of months. And then I'll die with the rest of them. So what else is going on, buddy? We have... Uh, Len Caston on tonight. Yeah, we'll chat with Len. Uh, he was nice enough to take some time out of his busy schedule and chat with us uh, about his Serpo book, uh, True Story of Interplanetary Travel. Uh, it was definitely an interesting conversation, so that'll be a fun one. And of course, next week uh, we're chatting uh, Raelians with uh, Diane Brisebois. Yeah, Diane Brisebois. So that's. Uh, Back-to-back, back, we're kind of stretching the limits, so <laughs> I should love be fun. It. Yeah, yeah, it'll be great. That's what we like to do here is uh, push the boundaries as far as we can. Right on. So you got any uh, feedback at all? Uh, no, I don't get that shit. That's oh, yeah. you. Oh, well, geez. I get stuff on the Twitter, but uh, I got some tweet back, uh, some feedback. Some tweet back. Some That's tweet, good. Some tweet back saying that... Um, uh, noticing the sound improvement with the preamp, so that's uh, good news. Uh, we can adjust. Hopefully, we, we once we really get it figured out. Hopefully, you'll notice even more. But uh, always fun to uh, get new gear, which is a lot easier when you guys subscribe uh, to an email address or uh, join the Money Bomb. Yeah, yeah, we do uh, need a, a few contributions to help the expenses here. Not that we're you know um, just spending money frivolously on new gear or anything like that, but there is fixed monthly expenses that we have to cover just to do this show so we're not asking for anything just cover some expenses so and give away some cash we and give, give away, away some more cash. money it's like a 50 50 it was nice money felt good to give away 100 bucks i want to give away 500 bucks a thousand bucks yeah yeah you know we can get there yeah so, so anyway check it's out. gonna carry over though yeah it's carry over so hopefully uh, if we get some more in june we'll do the draw june 30th or yeah there's only 30 days in june so yeah, check out the details, grimerica.ca slash moneybomb. Uh, check it out. Uh, Do you get any spam this week, buddy? Uh, yeah, I got a, I got a story, a long story. A story? Yeah, but I've also got my own to to uh, tell you, my own synchronicity story. So. Oh, uh, we're doing synchronicity? Well, I can't give it up yet. I don't think we can put synchronicity in the, with the spam. 
Did, has anyone sent you any actual junk mail yet? Of course not. Fuck. I was hoping. I tried. So what would you like to hear first, my personal synchronicity or the feedback from uh, or a story, a story let's go, from... Let's go with yours, buddy. Synchronicity. Okay, you have to pay attention to this. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a long one. Uh, and and you've you've probably <laughs> you've probably heard this before, so uh, you know don't don't uh, daydream halfway through because you think you've already heard it. And put your phone down. Actually, yeah. Okay, are you ready? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> By your way. Okay, so I'm riding my bike. <clears throat> this is how it starts. I'm riding my bike uh, past Nose Hill Park. It's this huge park in Calgary, right? And there's a long pathway along the side of it. And there's a metal railing there. So I'm riding up, and ahead I see this this big bird on standing, sitting on the rail, right? Like standing on the rail. And I thought it was an owl at first. I thought, no, 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 it's not an owl. It kind of looks like a golden eagle or it's a, it's, as I got closer, it was definitely a raptor type bird, right? So I'm on the pathway and it's like right on the rail and I'm quietly riding up to it and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, just don't, or I'm thinking to it kind of like, don't, don't be scared. Don't be scared. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to ride by. You're so trying I quiet- to tell telepathically communicate with not it. really it's just natural it's just a natural thing like don't be scared don't be scared like you would say maybe to it a, is a natural thing maybe so anyways I, I ride by it and i look to it i look at it and it's looking at me from like a foot or two away in the eyes as i as i ride by it and i just get this full like body shiver like whoosh and of course I wanted to stop and look at it or do something, but I just kept riding, right? Cause it's just watched me drive right by. So I didn't even know what kind of bird this was, right? I tried to get a decent look at it. So I got home on the internet and I was researching what kind of birds are in the area. And I realized it was a, a red tailed hawk. So I was listening to a mysterious universe at the time and they were talking about some sort of topic and it reminded me of a book I had read from a guy's, and I couldn't remember the author's name. I knew the author's name had a number in it or something, right? So I was like, Jonathan 12 Hawk, and the guy's name is Jonathan 12 Hawk, right? So as I was looking for that author to comment in the Mysterious Universe blog about this, I stumbled across Jonathan Hawk, John Hawk, actually, and I was like, this guy does interesting research. It's like, Paleo, what was it here? I've got it. I've got it open. It was like paleoanthropology, genetics, and evolution. Alice, I'm like, man, I gotta look into this guy a little deeper, right? So it's John Hawk, and then I email the Mysterious Universe about the books from Jonathan Twelve Hawks. So I'm like, just after that, I get in my car to go to group meditation. I was going to this full moon meditation or something like that. Wonder if he has a brother, Mike. Mike Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and another brother, Richard. <laughs> Mike and Dick Hawk. <sighs> okay, this is the best part. <laughs> Okay. Okay, we're back. We're back. So I get in my car 
I'm in the middle of a long audio book. It's like 16 hours long, right in the middle of it, right? Okay. I turn it on to play it. And the first thing that is said is researcher John Hawk in the middle of this audio book. It was actually uh, that audio book from uh, what's his name? David Wilcock audio book. <laughs> <laughs> so i called my sister right away because it's like it blows me away right i've never heard of this guy before and i turn on the audiobook and john hawk researcher john hawk comes up in the middle of like a 16-hour audiobook so i call my sister and i'm telling her about the synchronicity and i get to the meditation and i'm talking to this guy and he tells me he was having a really rough day and he was helped because he was watching a family of red-tailed hawks. The mama hawk and the daddy hawk and the little baby red-tailed hawk. And it totally brought him out of his funk. And, and he was uh, just like in the moment and like, you know, just observing this nature and it helped him. So, I mean, there you have it. What do you think? What's the time frame? Like within... Like the same day within hours. Same day? Yeah. Within hours. Hawk, 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 hawk. <laughs> uh, hmm. Seven, seven. Seven, seven? No. Yeah, 7.7. 7. Oh, that's it, eh? That was you fun, though. You could, yeah, that was a lot of fun. You couldn't, you couldn't give me the record? I'll give you, okay. Eight. Eight? Point like a, oh, one. Really? Okay. No, I can't give you the record. His no. is better. 7.7. 7. Just about had him. All right. Not so, really, though. But I mean, hey, the, the best part was like turning on that audiobook and the thing came on. I just, it was, it was minutes from me looking it up online by mistake to getting in the car and having his name on the audiobook. No, it's not, I'm not, <clears throat> not swaying at all. 7.9. 7.9. All right. I'll take it. I, I don't know if See, I that's not ever fair because you get the chance to try and swindle me, and the other people don't. Oh, I do that but on their behalf. Yeah, Okay, so do you want to hear a, a a story from one of our listeners? Yeah, man. Always. He's going to do better than you, probably. <laughs> well, it's, it, it's, a sense of seven point eight. I don't know if it's really a synchronicity. This is just a story. Okay, that's one too. This is from Dwayne Brownfield, and he he says. Uh, you know he's a big big fan of uh of the show and he wanted to share a story he hasn't really shared it more than once or twice he's not really sure what the hell to make of it so he's been listening to the podcast on a long drive back home to new hampshire all right on so the road again <laughs> so i've told the story only once or twice i still don't know what to make of it so i'm 26 right now and this is a story from when i was 18 i you, just been you in think a... he cares if he uses his last name uh, yeah, he would have said something if, uh, he didn't. Where's, where's he heading to New Hampshire from? South Texas. Close to RPJ, I think. Can I continue with the story? It's not really, uh, it might not be considered a synchronicity. It's more of kind of a, a UFO type story. Okay. So he had been, uh, he had been in a bad car accident. He was very sore. It had been about a week since the accident and he was sleeping all day long and staying up all night watching documentaries about Egypt and Edgar Casey, etc. 
I woke up around 9 o'clock, he says, and he was feeling really sore. My life was also in turmoil at the time. My mother was in a new relationship, a new marriage, and it was bad. And I was a month away from moving out of state to go to a school to get my nursing license and start a new life. Things were hectic, and having just been in a car accident didn't help. I turned on the TV soon after I woke up, and there was a show about Edgar Casey that was about to come on. I watched some of it. And then went out to the porch to smoke a joint and let my mind run around with far off thoughts. As I was smoking, I noticed a light in a tree across the little river in the front of the backyard. The scene was this across the river was another house. And in their front yard, there was a huge pine tree. <clears throat> in the background, there was a ridge line from a mountain. The tree was taller than the ridge line because it was closer to me. The light was round and behind the tree right where the ridge line was. I thought the light must have been a car on the mountain or a porch light. I finished my joint and waited a minute looking at the light. All of a sudden it moved up slowly and now was not clearly on the mountain. I could see it behind the tree, but not in the tree. I then thought it was a plane or helicopter that must be moving in my direction. I watched it move up to the top of the tree, then stop and keep going up. <clears throat> Now I could see it in the sky and it kept going until it was at the top of the sky silent. It was yellow and orangish and maybe with a small amount of translucent blue. Then it was gone without any sound or trace. I was shocked, but not too blown away. What followed was, was odd. I went inside and sat on the couch. I'd only been awake for two hours or so at this point. So as soon as I sat on the couch, I felt heavy, very heavy. And I started to get this overwhelming sense of fear. The thought formed in my mind that I must go to my room and lay down. It was like the thought placed itself in my mind. Now I was feeling heavy, lots of fear and suddenly tired, almost as if I wasn't in control of my body, though I knew I was. I went to my room and laid down. I then thought of the light I had just seen. That was the first moment I felt maybe it was a UFO. The next seven or so seconds were fast and intense. A light filled my window behind my bed and I could sense and slightly see four shadowy figures around my bed. I closed my eyes with intense fear and was just about stunned and paralyzed. The sound of a dentist drill filled my ears and I passed out cold. I woke up the next morning just fine, but with some dreams that felt like they were small visions of the future. A plane, myself shaving with an orange and chrome razor and two wooden planks. <clears throat> Odd, I thought. About a month later, my mother was driving me to the bus station so I could take the bus up to Maine to my new apartment so I could start school and my new career as a nurse. That morning, I took the new razor I got the previous day. It was orange and chrome. Okay. I went to the porch to smoke a cigarette, and there was a low-flying plane circling around oddly low. As we pulled out of the driveway, there were two wooden planks off to the side of the driveway. I asked where they came from, and my mother said Darren, her new husband, had put them there that morning to fix the porch. My name's Darren. I know. Wow. Eight points. I never knew. One. Hang on. I never <laughs> knew what to make of this experience until years later, I heard Terrence McKenna explain in DMG trip. I was stunned and wondered if perhaps I myself had a DMT, DMT trip on the Natch. Don't know what that means. On the natural? Oh. Yeah. 
I think all DMT is natural, really. I mean, like uh, you can extract it from different roots and like cook it down and huh. get a powder. It's just, just like streamlining ayahuasca, really. I was stressed at the time and going through a big time in my life. Could be. Ever since then, I see 11-11 on 12-12 on the clock. Also 9-11. That one I don't like, but can't seem to stop them. I've also since been reading and watching things about everything weird. Mushrooms, DMT, Egypt, Edward Casey, Gnostic Gospels, dreams, Buddhism, and all things in between. A personal awakening, maybe? If I told this story to Carl Jung, I don't think he would be shocked. His material seems to show that, yes, the UFO slash awakening phenomena is mental. What a crazy thing this game of life we call it is. Hope I didn't just waste 10 minutes of your time with my big story. Feels good to tell it. You wasted 10 minutes of everybody's time. No, I'm just <laughs> Thanks kidding. for your time, man. Keep up the good work. I love the show. Peace out, guys. I liked it. That was good, That's eh? A good story, yeah. yeah. Um, I, you know, what did you think of when, when, <clears throat> when the shit that he saw in his dream came true? I don't know. I like the numerology stuff better. Because I, fuck, what was I just listening to? I was just listening to, oh, I think it was on THC. Buddy that was just on THC he was oh, talking about how 15, 9-11 and 9-11s yeah. like, even before 9-11, like 9 all that stuff's based on some crazy elitist. I can't remember if it was elitist or not. Or that was a really good was, episode. It was really good. We'll yeah, to we got to get him on. For sure. But yeah, no, thanks for the mail. That was a good story. It made me think of when I heard him talk about the future stuff happening in the future that that he's on the right path, like that he's, that's a sign that he's going down the right path. Like it almost feels to me like if you can have a glimpse of these little things within your near future, that that means you're. Yeah, man. Yeah. So do you think he's seen a UFO or do you think the pot just helped put him in a, a state that he could, you know, almost meditative state that he could i don't know man that's a long weird trip it's not just a light in the sky there's the dentist drill and the feeling tired and scared and yeah well by that point you're <clears throat> like if if it's not actually happening i think by that point you're like operating in dreamland whether you're actually sleeping or inducing or meditating to get there to get to yeah maybe you know if they say you can meditate hard enough to get a dmt trip which i still find hard to believe but i mean maybe mushrooms you can match by eating by meditating even that i find hard to believe but i mm. guess i'm just not very good at meditating if someone can Maybe meditate, you try. if somebody out there can meditate to the point that they feel the same as they feel when they're peeking out on mushrooms, then email Graham because I want to hear about it. Yeah, it's kind of not realistic. No, exactly right. No, that's what they make you think, though. Yeah, they play it off like that a little bit. I don't know, man. Maybe it was a real encounter. Maybe it was psychosomatic. I don't know. <laughs> All right, it's that my favorite time. The I profound like to watch you when you see me yeah, so cool. phone up to the mic. <laughs> this is a good one. Always hard to choose, but all right. I slammed on some power, hauled the nose up, and prayed we'd go over top that thing. Just as we started to climb, the thing swept straight up, did an impossible right angle turn, and begins to pace us. I don't see how anything could have executed a maneuver like that. I mean, almost a simultaneous two-directional turn. 
up and to the right, not to mention coming to a damn near dead stop. Now comes the wacky part of the whole thing. While we were watching the UFO, suddenly this other glowing thing drops out from underneath it. The damn thing drops out from underneath it. The damn thing looked like a neon green smoke ring. It dropped away from the larger UFO down toward the water and submerged. We saw the glowing green circle of water where it went in, and then the glow disappeared. Seconds later, two more green rings dropped out. The second one dropped away and submerged like the first one, but the third one dropped down and then shot straight ahead to disappear towards the coast. That was from Captain Hamill, TWA pilot over Atlantic Ocean. Objects also witnessed by co-pilot Dixon, December 22nd, 1977. 77, pre-drone. Oh, yeah, man. Maybe. And USO. <clears throat> USO. Hmm? Pre-commercial drone. Yeah, exactly. I, that's called a drone. Could be black. No, it's not going to drone. 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 No, they can't fly that. Not black ops. Black no. budget drone. No. no. Secret space program drone. No. All right. It was a UFO dropping underwater Atlanteans. <laughs> nice one, buddy. Thanks, man. Always pulling... Pulling out gutters, eh? All right, yeah. So I think that about wraps it up. Uh, we might as well jump into our chat with Len here. He was nice enough to to spend the time and talk about his book. Like you said, it was a fascinating chat. Um, and I'm hungry, so let's jump into it. Tonight here in Grimerica, we're going to be talking. We're going to be talking with author Len Caston, uh, author of the book *Secret Journey to Planet Serpo*, um, and it was a great read. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, but first, how's it going tonight, Graham? Hey, Darren. I'm doing good, buddy. I'm excited to be here today talking with Len. Uh, it's been a while. We've been thinking about having Len on, and we finally got him here. Uh, Len Casson, who, as Darren mentioned, uh, author of Secret Journey to Planet Serpo, True Story of Interplanetary Travel. Now, Len's been in the field of ufology for quite a while. He's been in, uh, involved in the disclosure movement. He's been editing some magazines. He's been around this stuff for decades. He's had some of his own experiences, so we're looking forward to chatting with him about all this. His bio is a little bit too big for me right now, so we're just going to let him tell the story a little bit. Welcome to Grey America, Len. Okay, nice to be with you. Yeah, so as Darren said, your book was quite fascinating. 
Um, I don't even know where to begin here. It's uh, it's quite a obviously it's quite a controversial topic. But do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, how you came to to write this book? Well, it all started with uh, a trip in 2006 to the UFO Congress in Laughlin, Nevada, where I met Bill Ryan. Uh, Bill was the one that created the website having to do with Serpo's story. Okay. And uh, I was in a shuttle bus from Laughlin to Las Vegas Airport with, with Bill and some other people. And we discussed it all the way back to the airport. So by the time I got there, I had a very good feeling for what it was all about. And uh, I pursued it and studied it and uh, did some more research after that encounter. So that it must have been, you must have been just blown away the further you went down the rabbit hole. Absolutely. Uh, but he was actually talking to myself and to, and to Don Ware. Are you, do you know who Don Ware is? Uh, no, I, I'm not. Don Donald Ware, okay. And uh, there were several of us in the shuttle, and uh, that was Bill's only visit to the Congress that I know of, and I just happened to catch it and uh, learned the whole story from him, directly from him. So can you can you step back a few paces and give us, like, the general summary, like just a real brief summary of the, the story? Well, the story is a remarkable one. Uh, it, we sent 12 Americans to a distant star system on an alien spacecraft in 1965. Uh, we, we sent 12 people and seven returned uh, 13 years later. And uh, this, this store, Serpo's story is the story of their stay on that planet and what they learned and how they interacted with the civilization, which we, they call the Evens, E-B-E-N-S. That was the name that was given to, to them uh, after the Roswell crash. Um, and uh, the movie Close Encounters was a abbreviated version of, of the takeoff when they actually left the planet. Spielberg had that information. We don't know how he got it. So um, it's quite a story. And uh, they came back in 78, seven of them. And then the aliens returned again uh, 10 other times after that. Last, the last return was in uh, 2010. I'm sorry, 2011. Hmm. So we have developed a diplomatic relationship with that civilization. And as far as I know, it's been a very productive one. We've learned a lot from them. Of course, it's all still top secret. But um, we, we have at least had this peek at what, what happened there and what it was all about. So it's an amazing story. So is there anything new since you've written the book that's come, come out to, to light at all? No, nothing that I'm aware of. Anonymous, who sent the information into the website in the first place, did send his last update in 2012 uh, relating to uh, a subject that was tangential to the uh, Circle story. But So he's still alive and he's still uh, active, and um, that was the last email we, we received from him, 2012. And what was, what was the email about? It was about the, uh, there was a TV show on many years ago called The Aviary. 
revealing revealing the secret organization uh, they call the aviary. Each one had a bird's name. Yeah, yeah. We've heard and, of the aviary before, yeah. Okay, well, uh, uh, he was just correcting uh, who, who the Falcon was. Oh, okay, right, right. <laughs> Somebody he knew personally, and he just wanted to get that information onto the website. Hmm. So whoever whoever anonymous is, he's obviously way up in the uh, hierarchy of the intelligence uh, community. Mm-hmm. To, have, to have those to have those, those contacts and to have all that information. So do we still have people on Serpo? Then is there still a couple people that that are living there, stayed behind? Two people remained behind, um, and seven returned. Three died. The two that remained behind, the last contact we had them with them was 1988. After that, all communications with them stopped. So, obviously, evidently, they died. They died on Circle eventually. When exactly, we don't know. I, I didn't make it to the part in your book uh, that said, well, not that I didn't make it, but I kind of didn't have time to go into it, uh, where they weren't, they didn't allow women to go. So why, why wouldn't they have sent some women to keep maybe, uh, like, since some people wanted to stay anyways, like, wouldn't there have been a chance to keep the human race going there? Well, that was not our intention. Our intention was not to start a colony there. Our intention was to bring those people back in 10 years. And uh, with and with all that information that they would have, uh, it was not to begin a colony on on Serpo. Now there were there were two women in the initial group of sixteen. Sixteen people were trained together, so there were four alternates in the group. Uh, in the alternate group of four, there were two women, but they didn't make the final cut. Uh, as far as I'm concerned. There's very strong evidence that only the only ones who went were, were all men, and I'm convinced that's the case. That's still a little that subject is still a little contentious, but Anonymous agrees now that Anonymous originally said that two women did go, but then it got it, it got uh, contradicted by some other email that came into the website, and the final the final. Uh, Conclusion is basically that only the only ones that went were men. Hmm. So when you when you first heard about this uh, after the UFO Congress in 2006 with with Bill Ryan, did what did you did you know Bill before that or did you like? I can imagine it being such a strange story. Like, was it believable right away for you, or did it take some research for you to kind of start buying into the story? I was convinced by Bill's manner and the way he related the story that he was a believer, and uh, I respected his opinion because uh, he's a very smart guy. That was my first introduction to Bill. I'd never met him before. So um, it was his, It was the way he told the story that convinced me that it was probably true and uh, persuaded me to go forward and do some research on my own. But that was the first time I met him. Hmm. Where's the uh... up, to that, up to that point, I had probably about 25 years of research in the UFO subject matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had already written about 50 articles for Atlantis Rising magazine, and uh, so I've been in and out of it for a long time. Plus, I had some experiences. Uh, I felt 
very convinced that Bill was telling the truth as far as he knew it. As far as he knew it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, can you tell us a bit about your own experiences then? I had an experience when I was in the Air Force. I, uh, I woke up one night at 3 o'clock in the morning, which was unusual for me, and I, I ran to the barracks window and looked out just in time to see a, a craft go by very silently, glowing um, green and gold phosphorescent color, a little above eye level. And I put my face up against the window and I watched it disappear out over the Gulf of Mexico and fell uh, back to sleep. And uh, the next morning, the tower operators, uh, Eglin Air Force Base was an experimental air base and there was a lot of strange traffic going around there. They came in and said that I was in a weather detachment. They came in and said that they had four UFOs on the radar that night. Oh, hovering over the end of the runway. And the craft that I saw was coming from the, um, the runway. So I told them that. They said, well, why don't you go report it to the UFO office? I said, what's a UFO? I had no idea what it was. Hmm. I did find the UFO office. I went there, and there was a captain sitting there, which surprised me right off the bat. Uh, and he had about a five-page questionnaire in front of him and asked me a lot of very detailed questions about it. And we concluded that the craft was probably going about, I think it was, we concluded it was about 3,800 miles an hour based on when I first saw it and when I saw it disappear. And uh, so that added another factor of strangeness to the story. But then the very next day, I got very sick and with flu-like symptoms and had to go to the base hospital for three days. And later I found out that people who were taken on board craft did show those symptoms frequently. So putting it all together, uh, why, I, why I jumped out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning and ran to the window, why I got sick, I think probably I had been taken on board the craft and when I woke up at 3 o'clock, I had just been returned, returned to my barracks room. Uh, so I was pretty sure I was taken on board the craft. What I learned on, on that occasion, I have no idea. It's buried somewhere in my subconscious. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So, I think it's, got, it's what got me started in this whole direction. So do you think that that craft would have been the, the Serpo knees? What, I don't know how you... No, I don't think so. No, I don't think it had anything to do with Serpo. So then you... I, don't know, I don't know who they were. I don't know who they were, where they came from. Uh, I'm pretty sure I was taken on board. I probably learned something. Whatever I learned, it got me interested in joining in joining NICAP about a year later. Uh, I don't think I would have any other reason to join NICAP at that point, which was early in the UFO uh, story. So what year was that again, approximately? It was in the early 60s. Did you say 60s? Yeah, early yeah, 60s. Yeah. Hmm. So what do you think between, like, that craft that you saw, do you think that that was, uh, that wasn't our own craft? Do you think that was probably from somewhere else? Well, as I said, Eggman was an experimental base. Yeah. So it's possible it could have been one of ours. Uh, more than likely, though, based on the symptoms that I showed, a, few, a, a couple of days later, I think it was probably an alien craft. That's so, why I got sick. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Do you don't do you think there was accounts of my lab abductions way back then, or are those more recent? I don't. I don't know. I don't think the my lab were happening then. Yeah. Huh. What's your What's your feeling about about UFOs nowadays, and like how many are are uh, like say uh, ET or interdimensional craft compared to our own black budget, uh, or not our own, but yeah, like uh, uh, Earth based uh, technologies. I don't know. I know we have some amazing uh, craft now, and I think we go back and forth to the moon on a regular basis, and we go back and forth to a uh, military uh, space station on a regular basis, and we have craft that can fly to the stars now without any question. So it wouldn't surprise me if um, maybe 30 40% of the sightings are now our own people. Yeah, I'm feeling that that it's almost getting indistinguishable between what is actually like ET or interdimensional technology compared to our own. Right, especially especially the triangular craft. Yeah, I know yeah. We've, had, we've had the triangular craft for a long time. So if it's triangular, I think the one that appeared over Phoenix about 10 or 15 years ago, I think that was probably ours. Really, eh? Even though it was that huge? It was yeah, it was a huge triangular craft. Yeah, yeah, because I I would have thought that the the really big one like that from Phoenix would have been more ET, and then ours are the smaller black triangular ones. But who, well, who yeah, knows? Could have, been, could have been. I they don't know how big it was, but it was rather large. Mm-hmm. I think somebody estimated it to be a couple of football fields. I'm not sure. Huh. So so getting back to Serpo a little bit. Obviously, you get a you get a rough ride from the UFO people and uh, from mainstream. Like you must be sort of taking it from all ends. Has it been yeah, tough? I'm getting, I'm getting, yeah, you're right. I'm getting kind of a cold shoulder from the UFO people. However, uh, some of them are very enthusiastic, but it, they are they are the rare cases. Uh, and I, and investigating that strangeness of that phenomenon and thinking about it, I came to the conclusion that uh, the UFO people just don't believe the story. And uh, they're still they're still hung up on lights in the sky and they, they haven't just haven't gone as far as the fact that we are dealing with extraterrestrials on a regular basis. And we are. Yeah. We're dealing with them. They're here. They're here. Several different races are here. Uh, the uh, the Serpo website talked about nine different races that we're dealing with. I think it's probably even more than that. Uh, and I did I did mention those nine in my book and where they were from in the introduction. Yeah. So so uh, what what do you think it is about the story or about your book that that the ufo community doesn't want to believe like what what's the main thing that's holding them back is it like evidence or is it just how how crazy the story is i don't believe it or not i don't think they're i think the story is so fantastic they're not gonna they're not uh they're not believing it i mean these are people who believe everything else but they they won't believe that we've had 12 americans to a distant star system on an alien spacecraft, which is very, very doable, very possible. So uh, I'm not sure. I think that they, they're just not buying the story. Um, I don't know. You may have a better idea about this than I do. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either, because for me, like, 
they some of them are willing to accept that there's these massive crafts seen by multiple people multiple times radar all this other confirmation and yet it doesn't seem like so for me it doesn't seem like much of a stretch that that uh from there you know we could send people to another planet but it seems like uh, there's just a lot of uh, constant infighting uh, amongst the UFO community. Like, yeah, it is rather odd, and uh, it is even more odd when you consider that in the very next year, 2006, on coast to coast, uh, Rick Doty, Bill Ryan, and Stan, and um, and uh, Whitley Strieber were on together. Talking about Serpo, George Nuri was questioning them and expressing 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 his amazement about the story, and uh, not one of them contradicted it or said that it was probably false. They all they all agreed, mm-hmm. all of them, that it was probably true. And you consider that one of them was Rick Doty, who was from the Air Force Office of Special Investigation. That's particularly remarkable. But the fact that Whitley Strieber also went along with it, and Bill Ryan was also on three of them together. That was uh, soon after the the Serpo website had been started. It was the very next year. Hmm. So you'd think that by now the UFO community would have said, you know, maybe there is something to this after all. But I I am getting the cold shoulder about it, and it's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. Yeah, yeah. Didn't didn't anonymous anonymous anonymous. comment on that uh, interview uh, on Coast Coast and say that it was uh, as far as he was concerned, it was fairly factual? He may have, but I didn't read that. Where did you read that? I thought it was in your book. Maybe it was somebody else that commented on it. Wait a minute. I think, now that I think about it, I think he did say that he liked he liked the interview, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah something like That's that. That's right, he did. He did. I didn't, but I didn't put that in the book. Oh, may, I don't know. Maybe I read that somewhere else then. Yeah, maybe on the website. Yeah, maybe. Has it been has it been tough for you then? Uh, like trying to put up with all this all this crap from all sides? Like how have you been able to withstand that? Tough for me how? What do you mean? Well, like psychologically. Like I I, I kind of keep coming back to the, the people that are involved in this field and how it's affected them personally, I guess. Like, I, I don't know. It must be hard for you being, uh, you know, having this this book out where where people are just sort of battling you from all ends. It's not hard for me at all. I, I have no problem with it. Uh, the, uh, the book has been doing quite well. It's number four on the publisher's top 50 list and has been for several months now. Um, we're getting some interest from Hollywood. Uh, the story is getting out there. It's slowly growing. Slowly. Don't forget, this, don't forget that this happened. Uh, the, the, uh, the Americans returned in 1978. That was uh, almost 40 years ago. So, you know, it's an old story now. It really is a very old story. And I uh, think time has finally come where people are going to say, well, hey, maybe this did happen. You know? Yeah, getting back to the book, can we get into uh, to a bit of, uh, for listeners that, that haven't read the book, a bit of what, what was going on in, in Antarctica back in the 30s? 
Yeah, I thought it, I thought it best to preview the story, the circle story, with, uh, uh, with the prelude of what happened before, before Serpo. And it was particularly important to get across the Kingman event, which was when the uh, aliens sent a craft here for us to back engineer. But the Antarctica story was a continuation of the Nazi thing. They had built a base there in 1938, and they were continuing to develop their flying saucers there in Antarctica. So when when we sent a when we sent a fleet there to wipe out the base, they sent the uh, the saucers up and repelled the invasion. And uh, Admiral Byrd was, uh, was was the leader of that fleet. That was Operation High Jump. And uh, the operation was supposed to be there for six months. They re they returned after two months, and we lost I, approximately 68 people were killed. So uh, it it appears that the Is, the Nazis was, had oh so was that had, the Nazi base that they showed up at, and there was nobody there. I thought I heard a story about that before that the. We showed up at a Nazi base in Antarctica, and there was nobody there. But then there ended up being a battle anyway. About I don't know what you mean about nobody there. The the the, uh, the saucers came out of the water, came right out of the water, and engaged the fleet and the American. Uh, and actually, an international it was an international fleet. We sent an aircraft carrier. We sent forty seven hundred Marines. They engaged the ships and. My understanding is they sank one of the ships and killed 68 men, at which point Bird decided to terminate the uh, operation and returned to, uh, returned to the U.S. And then we just kind of left it at that? We just gave... Well, no, I mean, he came back with valuable intelligence, and uh, needless to say, he was grilled by the congressional committees and blah, blah, blah. And uh, his, his advice was to turn Antarctica into a thermonuclear test range. That was his recommendation, and uh, they they decided to put him out of commission, and uh, he ended up in a mental institution. They didn't want him they didn't want him saying any more about it. But you can imagine the kind of panic that must have prevailed at the Pentagon at that point, and that was in early 1947. And I wanted to tell that story first because uh, three months later, four months later came Roswell. Hmm. And what I said in my book was that changed that changed everything. Because any any uh, any plans that we had to go back to Antarctica became unnecessary at that point. Because now we were dealing with an alien race that had technology far in advance of anything that the Nazis had. And that was the best place to put our bets at that point. And that's what we did. That's exactly what we did. Because the, uh, the the Roswell crash was the beginning of the circle story. One alien one alien survived the Roswell crash, and he was from Serpo. And that was the connection that we made that started the whole ball rolling. That's what started everything. He remained alive for another five years at Los Alamos uh, Laboratories. And we questioned him, and we learned all about uh, Serpo from him. And uh, it was at that point that a decision was made to have a, to have a uh, an exchange program, 
it wasn't Kennedy that started the exchange program. He just approved it. He let it go forward. Uh, the decision to have the exchange program was made in, 19, in 1952, before he died, before the alien died. Hmm. So which I is, have, all that, have all that in the book. Which is interesting because that's when um, that uh, disinformation campaign started too, right? That big, uh, oh shit, I just lost the name of it. Um, help me out, Darren. Blue Book? No, no, the... Uh, uh, What's that one, Len, where they uh, talked about the me- using the media to ridicule people and all that? Uh, oh, well, you know, that, you mean through, in Hollywood? What are you talking about? No, there was a meeting that they all had in 1952, with the CIA probably, and they, they decided... Condon Committee? No, no, it's different. I can't, I can't think of the name. I've talked about it so many times now, and I can't remember the name. Oh, that wasn't what the Condon Committee was. No, it's, it's different than that. It's that, uh, okay. that other one. Anyways, I'll, I'll figure that out. So it's coincidental then, too, that the CIA was created a couple months after Roswell, too. That's kind of weird. You see any well, link there? I think, I think that Truman had a lot more information about aliens than we, you and I know about because there were two crashes before Roswell, one in off San Diego and uh, one in New Mexico uh, where we recovered alien bodies. So by that, by that point, uh, and they were all around uh, critical military installations, so there was concern here that, that there was a military involvement. Uh, this the Roswell crash itself was right out near the 509 bomb group, which was the which was our uh, nuclear delivery bomb group. So uh, Colonel Colonel Corso thought that we that the Pentagon was concerned that they might have they were worried about an alien invasion, that these people were just uh, doing some surveillance for a possible alien invasion, especially since. There were some body, human body parts found on uh, the Roswell craft. Uh, it turned out that they were just collecting these body parts and bringing them back with them for their biotechnology work. Uh, it wasn't that they ate human beings. So, but anyway, there was concern, and uh, so that's why everything had to be kept top secret. So where did the leak leak develop? Like, uh, who's responsible, uh, I suppose? To, is there any sort of um, thoughts on, on who, who it was who, who first let the cat out of the bag? What, about the circle story? Yeah. That didn't happen until 2005. Anonymous was the first to send in the emails to the website, to Victor Martinez's website, and uh, that set of that first set of 21 emails that he sent was the revelation of the Serpo story, and that happened in 2005. And he doesn't say who he claims to be or anything like that. He just continues to call himself anonymous, but we do know that that he was the editor of the Red Book. He claimed to be the editor of the Red Book. The Red Book is a book of all of our encounters with aliens. Over all the years, uh, he was the one that he was the one that gave an update on the Red Book to sitting presidents, five different presidents. So he he must be way up in the uh, in the intelligence hierarchy, whoever he is. And then these, and do, you, do you think they still continue to fill the president in, or do you think he's just become uh, out of the loop by this point? I think the last the last. Uh, 
president to really know the story was Eisenhower. Mm. Uh, and even he didn't know it all. Kennedy was given half the story, I believe. Uh, for instance, if you read my book, you know that uh, it's very unlikely that Kennedy knew anything about the Kingman event. The Kingman event was critical because uh, we, we came to realize after the Roswell crash that this little ship did not come all the way from another star system. It was too small. There were only, uh, there were only uh, six occupants, and it wasn't geared for long-distance travel. So I'm sure that we concluded right away that there had to be a mothership still in orbit around our planet. And evidently that turned out to be the case because they did send another craft down in 1952, shortly after uh, the first, shortly after the first alien died. We called, we named him EBE number one, by the way. That, that was the designation we gave him. He died in 52. In 53, the gift, the gift that they sent us crashed in Kingman. It didn't actually crash, it landed. And it was taken right away to the Nevada test site, and we began work on reverse engineering that craft in 1953. So by the time that Kennedy came in office, and the time we sent of the 12 Americans to Serpo, we, we'd already been dealing with dealing with them for nine years, and they were helping us reverse engineer their craft. So we knew a lot about them by the time uh, we sent those 12 guys there. We knew a great deal about them, and they, they were very friendly and very helpful. <laughs> So I, I wonder if the Red Book was named after Carl Jung. He he had a book that was published after he died, I think, that it was kind of like his memoirs or notes, and it was called the Red Book, and he got into all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, I don't know. I don't think there's any connection. Why did, he, why did he call it the Red Book? Yeah, I don't know. I wonder. I'm not sure. Uh, the reason that uh, Anonymous says it's actually an orange-colored Book. not exactly red. They oh, yeah, orangey, orangey brown or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he was the sitting editor. He was the editor of the Red Book, meaning that he decided what what reports went into it and which ones did not go into it. And then he would brief the sitting president. That was his job. Huh. So do you remember I was, I was trying to think of that name uh, back in 1952? It was the Robertson Panel. That's oh, what Robertson. I was thinking of. It seems like another coincidence that that same year... Um, in or early in 1953 is when the panel arose, uh, you know, from the intelligence advisory committee to come up with this, uh, you know, this 
actually, they did review Blue Book, I guess, back then, but it was... Uh, Hmm. Blue Book was Blue Book was started, I believe, in mid the mid fifties, wasn't it? I don't know. Yeah, it's getting a getting a weird sounds about right. Yeah. Hmm. But anyways, uh, it's was... it's interesting how the panel is trying to, you know, to conclude that uh, UFOs were not a direct threat, but they could actually, uh, you know, use the media to ridicule the subject and basically dismiss it. And ever since that panel, I mean, they've been doing a fucking damn good job of it. Yeah, you know, the, uh, the the Serpo team was kept under tight security until they left. There was fanatical, there was a fanatical dedication to secrecy. They were actually kept locked up at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, until they left. That's how fanatical. So this was a this was one of the most uh, highly uh, secret operations ever, with the exception perhaps. Of, of the atomic bomb development. That's how that's how critical the secrecy was. So it wouldn't surprise me that they went to other lengths uh, after that either. Speaking of uh, working on atomic bombs, you had a chapter in your book on on some of the technologies that the the Ebens were were capable of. Do you want, do you mind touching on that a little bit? Yeah, I decided that I should devote a chapter to it because uh, a lot of it was dribbled out to Anonymous sort of casually, and he didn't make a big thing of it. I thought it was necessary to really review the kind of advanced technology that uh, we know about just from those 21 emails. And uh, one of them was free energy. He said they had the ability to extract uh, extract energy right out of the uh, ambient uh, the vacuum and apply it, and uh, that reminded me that we had been working on that as far back as uh, uh, the 1940s. So it wasn't anything new to us. Uh, Keeley, the Keeley engine, the Keeley motor. I think Keeley came along in in the in the actually in the early 1900s yeah. and developed the motor. Yeah. So you know, it, this idea of free energy extracted from the from the vacuum was nothing new to us, and uh, evidently the the Ebens have it perfected, because uh, the twelve members of the team said that uh, in their uh, in, in their uh, notes that they used it they used that kind of energy uh, routinely on Serpo. So that much we know. Then there was the so-called crystal rectangle device. Uh, do you remember reading about that in my book? Yep. They took a lot of electrical appliances with them to Serpo. Uh, evidently, they were sure that they would all work, and they did. And they plugged into this black box that powered the all, all these electrical devices. Mm-hmm. And that, that became known as the CR, or the crystal rectangle uh, they did find one on the alien craft at Roswell, but they didn't know what it was. And until the Americans came back from Serpo and finally they realized that it was a power device, uh, they've learned a lot more about it. And one of the things they learned about it was that it operates on antimatter. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a molecule or a module of antimatter that powers any, any device that's plugged into it electrically. 
So uh, they have antimatter, they have uh, anti-gravity. They loaded uh, 90,000 pounds worth of equipment and supplies that went with the Americans to Serpo in one move. Hmm. They moved it all onto their craft in one move. So obviously they have that worked out too. And they, can, they, can, they, can, they can impart uh, levitation to heavy objects. And this is reminiscent, of course, of uh, a lot of the uh, sites, the ancient sites, uh, the pyramids, and a lot of other sites where they had these huge boulders. So evidently we, they had that technology even then. Mm -hmm. Whoever came to our planet, even then. But the, the Ebens had it. Clearly. So they had anti-gravity, they had anti-matter, uh, they navigated through wormholes, they went 40 times the speed of light. It took them 10 months to get to their planet from here. And the planet was 40, 40 light years away. That tells us that they were traveling at about 40 times the speed of light. And the but that, but that includes the wormholes, right? Well, the only way they could th do that was if they were going through the wormhole, because the wormholes are instantaneous. They're instantaneous. So the 10 months was evidently spent in navigating to and from the wormholes, some form of stellar navigation that was needed. But once they got in a wormhole, uh, they went from one end of it to the other instantaneously. And that, that's the only way they could have traveled 40 light years in 10 months. Uh, they also had antimatter propulsion on the craft as well, but uh, the, the antimatter was not what, what they used to go to these tremendous stellar distances. Mm. So they had that. They had they had the uh, they had the dead, what, what, what Tesla called the death ray. Which was really a uh, particle beam weapon or something like particle that. Beam, particle beam weapons, yes, particle beam weapons, and uh, they had already they had themselves been involved in a war with another civilization that had lasted a hundred years, and they finally defeated their enemy with the particle beam weapons, according to Anonymous. So, do you think that that's where we're getting some of our particle beam weapons from? Finally, or our energy directed directed energy weapons is from yeah. this type yeah, of reverse so. engineering that's taken you know a decade or two. It might not have been reverse engineering; it might have been cooperation. Right. I mean, we we have developed a very very uh, diplomatic and very friendly relationship with the Evens. They've been in back here ten times. Yeah, so it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if they had given us a lot of their technology. But isn't that surprising that they would do it and, and we would harm each other with it? Like, you'd think they'd be a little more spiritual advanced and wouldn't cooperate with us if we're going to destroy each ourselves, you know? I think they're neutral on that point. Uh, I don't think that they uh, are going to take any position on that. They're letting us do whatever we choose to do. And, uh, like it's just all business kind of thing or something. Well, not so much all business, so much as uh, not interference. Not interference right. is the best right. way to put it. Yeah. I don't think any of the aliens really choose to interfere with, with our destiny or our fate or our uh, life here on, on this planet. And I don't think any of them consider death to be a big deal anyway. Because uh, it's a recycling, really, more than anything. 
and uh, I do think that we did use particle beam weapons in the first in the first Gulf War. Hmm. So uh, beyond that, I don't know. I'm just guessing, of course. Some of the reports that came back from that first Gulf War, uh, especially that battle in the desert, sound very much like the use of particle beam weapons. Hmm. Can you give us uh, you had the, a chapter in your book about the the exploration and kind of the land cla- la, 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 sorry the landscape of of Serpo? Can you kind of give our listeners a, a look at what Serpo Serpo might have looked like or what it does look like? I suppose the planet was a little smaller than ours. All the dimensions are in my book. The weight the uh, diameter, so, so forth and so on. It's all there. The orbits. Uh, what, what's that? The orbits. All that stuff is in there, right? The orbit, yeah. all the details, all the, all the uh, mathematics are in there. The, uh, the, our people experienced tremendous heat when the, when the craft first landed there. Uh, the craft evidently landed in the equatorial region. It was extremely hot. But the Evens apparently like the heat, and they they sort of um, uh, prefer it to any other to to cooler cooler temperatures. So uh, they put us in an underground. They put them in an underground location where where it was cooler, and that's where they lived until finally, uh, after seven years or six years of living in that hot region. They allowed us to move to the northern to a northern quadrant of the planet where it was much cooler, and uh, our people said that the, that the landscape and the uh, temperatures were very similar to to Montana, what Montana is on our planet. So it was very pleasant for them finally in the final uh, seven years of their uh, habitation there. Hmm. But that would have only been two Serpo years. No, no, we're talking, they were gone, the, the Americans were gone for 13 years, 13 of our years. And that's uh, seven that, circle how years? How that translates to their years, is that what you're saying? Yeah. I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I haven't done that, with, I haven't done the mathematics on that. And and then, so there was two suns too, wasn't there, or, or around uh, Serpo? Like, there's a, yeah, isn't there a sons. picture... One of the pictures has, uh, what is it, the sunsets of Serpo or something like that? Yeah, there were two suns. Serpo, Serpo itself was in orbit around one of the suns, not both. But the other one remained in the sky, and so it never got dark on Serpo. It would get, it would get dim, but never dark. And uh, it was constant sunlight for that reason. <laughs> So, speaking of that picture, then, I mean, do you get asked a lot by people, or is that one of the main things they challenge you on? Is where's all the photos? Yeah, well, I have a whole, I have a whole half a chapter in the book about why those photos didn't show up. Uh, Victor Martinez tried to get the photos included. He had a hundred of them in his possession at one point. Then they were sent to a specialist uh, in Army or Air Force Intelligence who said that. He didn't think they were genuine. Based on that analysis, they were not. They were not found to be legitimate. And they weren't and returned, so, right? So, and they weren't returned. They weren't returned. So the ones that were returned, Bill Ryan decided were too questionable 
to put in the book, to put in the uh, put on the website. So the only one that survived was that one single photograph of the two sunsets, of the mm. two suns in the sky. And what about the audio tapes? Do we have any? Do we have any hope? Uh, any faint hope in the near future that some of those audio tapes might uh, surface? Well, I prefer to see the, f- the photos myself. I prefer those before the audio tapes. But the audio tapes would be great too. It's all in a, it's all in a vault at Bowling Air Force Base in Washington, which is the Air Force Base shared by the DIA. Hmm. The DIA has their headquarters at Bowling Air Force Base. And so all of this material is in the vaults of the DIA at Bowling Air Force Base. All of the uh, soil samples, the audio recordings, the photographs, there are about 3,000 photographs, and uh, everything. It's all there. But wonder if we could FOA it. Or F I A it? F O A I? F O A I? F O I A. Put an FOIA request again, but we haven't had much luck with those. That's because it doesn't exist, I guess, probably to the official government. I don't think, you know, I don't think they're denying that it exists. Tell you the truth, if you read, did you read Appendix 12 in my book? Uh, yeah, I did. Well, as far as I'm concerned, Appendix 12 is a complete disclosure. Any, whatever would, if that's not disclosure, what is? It comes from a very high level of MJ-12. Every, all those 12 points made in that, in that one uh, appendix is everything that we've been waiting to hear. There's nothing in Appendix 12 that would not constitute complete disclosure. Mm. And I don't have it in front of me, but if you have the book in front of you and you want to read off some of those points, it's a, it's a very short appendix. That, to me, is complete disclosure. I don't know, I don't know what anyone else would be waiting for, frankly. Yeah, I've got it, I've got it right here. So it's uh, number one was intelligent life does exist on other planets and throughout the universe. Uh, two is craft not of human design or manufacture are operating in and around the land, sea, and air of Earth. Three, intelligent beings other than Homo sapiens are conducting various missions on this planet. These beings have been coming here for tens of thousands of years. Uh, and then number, we'll shoot to seven. The spiritual evolution of an alien life form may be ahead of, equal to, or behind its level of technological development. Huh. So where did this, so this list came from MJ-12, and this was uh, handed right. off to Victor Martinez? Yes. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's complete disclosure. I don't, know, I don't know what, there's no need to wait for anything else. It's all right, it's all right there. It's in my book. And, uh, you know, what else, what else do you want to know? Well, it's because of all these, all these people that, uh, this big fight over the MJ-12 documents and all that, right? And over its authenticity. And there's people that still say that they're all fake. And some people say some of them are real and some of them are fake. And it's, uh, it's just like this ongoing problem in ufology, right? I don't consider it a problem. 
I don't think there's any doubt that MJ-12 existed. Whether they do still exist or not, I don't know. Yeah. It, was the most logical, it was the most logical thing in the world for Truman to call a panel like that together. Exactly. That's yeah. kind of what I think, too. Absolutely. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have made sense to do anything else. Yeah. And and you know what? If they were there, do you, do you ever think that something like that would shrink or non-exist? It would it would probably grow and it would still be there. I mean, it's it's like Absolutely. it's like saying Absolutely. that a government started and got smaller. You know exactly. When does that ever happen? Yeah. If so, anything, it's worldwide now. It's not just yeah, America. That's, that's, uh, yeah. Absolutely. The Russians are involved. The Chinese are involved. The Vatican's involved. They're yeah. all involved. Yeah. So it's not it's not unique to us any longer. No, it's just matter a matter of fact that the, that the visit in 2010, we invited the Vatican, we invited China, we invited Russia, we invited many members of Congress, all to that event that took place at Johnston Island in 2009. Mm. So, you know, they know all about the Circle story, all of them. So, so speaking of disclosure, because I was going to ask you about that too. I mean, I, I realize you think that it has happened or could happen that it's all there for the taking but when do you think it'll be genuinely accepted by us and the mainstream you know scientific community or at least the government or something like what's it going to take for this to blow open we have to get those doors of that vault opened and get all that stuff out that's what's needed and once the public has seen those 3,000 photos do you think there's going to be any further doubt I mean, come on. Yeah. The photos, the, uh, the voice, voice recordings, the soil samples. I mean, what will be left after that? Well, we're at it. We should bust into the Smithsonian, too. I bet you they got some cool shit. <laughs> it, 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 it's, you know, these, the military wants this out, but they want it out in a controlled, sane way. They don't want anything like the the war of the worlds, okay? Mm. They don't want anything like that panic. And the story, but the story is getting more complicated day by day, and so the more complicated it gets, the, the more they're going to have to reveal, and it's going to get to the point where how can they reveal all this stuff? That's why they're trying to do a controlled public acclamation. That's what the controlled public acclamation program is all about, to release the steam, release the pressure. And they want to do that. They do. Uh... There's a lot of men of good faith and goodwill in the military, in government, that are trying to do that. And releasing the Serpo story was just one piece of it. It's just mm. one piece of it. Yeah, I, I've heard that before too about the releasing the steam, and and I I kind of I kind of agree with that in a way too. Um, I don't know, might be something that has to happen outside of our control. I mean, the thing that I don't agree with about the pictures and stuff is you you can't prove a picture is real you can just prove it's fake so you know these things seem to be easily debunked no matter how good it is people will just say it's it's uh you know it's unknown right that's like the best you can get pretty hard to argue with interplanetary soil samples though <laughs> yeah well they could say that the soil is from some exotic place on Earth or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you, you know, I, I'll tell you the truth. At this point, uh, science fiction film has gotten past, way past any of the realities. People are so used to seeing incredible stories 
roaming the galaxy uh, in sci-fi film because of CGI and other effects that the real stuff is going to be very tame when it's released. And uh, they're going to poo-poo it and say, well, they can't believe it's that simple uh, after what we're seeing in science fiction film. So it's, the situation gets more and more complicated as we move along, especially as we get into stuff that's interdimensional. Um, that's really fantastic. And, you know, we haven't even talked about teleportation yet, which is really an amazing story. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm loving it already. Can we, let's get into teleportation now. Uh, no, there's no teleportation involved in the circle story, but uh, I think you know about uh, Andy Bisaggio, right? Yeah. And you know his story, right? That he was teleported to Mars. Yeah. And, yeah. So that, that's that's a, that's a, that's even more amazing than than the circle story. So a lot of this, a lot of these stories are going to are going to be much more amazing than. By the time circle is revealed, it's going to be, be considered very tame. Hmm. Very tame. What was the project name of the teleportation to Mars? Wasn't Obama there too? Yeah, yeah. I think there was uh, there was talk about was that. Good, yeah. That was uh, uh, Operation, um, can't think of the name of it now. Pegasus, no? Pegasus, yeah, Pegasus, that's right. Oh, yeah, I think, I met, didn't I the White House Andy. actually, they actually came out and publicly denied it? Oh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Clinton's also been denying everything, but he knows more than anybody. Huh. Uh, so, uh, yeah, teleportation, I think, is the real story. Because with, with teleportation, who needs time travel? Who needs uh, physical spaceships any longer? That's where that's that's really the incredible story right there. So, Len, about you, you know, in your book, and Darren read it out here about how these these entities are have been living sort of on Earth and in Earth and outside of Earth, like, is there underground bases with these things now? Are they constantly kind of around uh, here, sort of hidden in plain sight? Well, the group we call the Reptilians, uh, I think, have been here longer than we have. Mm -hmm. my, own, my own opinion is that we're not native to this planet anyway. Uh, I believe that uh, we probably originated, according to... Uh, what uh, a lot of people are talking about, the Pleiadians. We came here from Lyra, uh, I don't know how many thousands of years ago, but the reptilians were already here, according to some beliefs, and some ancient civilizations that even outdate us. So uh, we're, we, we don't own the place either, no? And um, the, the reptilians supposedly have underground bases that go down around 200 miles hmm. under, the, under the surface. So, so you know, there's so much going on, it's just unbelievable. I've heard rumblings of us evolving on Mars, and like that's why, that's why there's so many bad backs, is because Earth has too much gravity. I'm sorry, hmm. repeat that again, I, I, didn't get, I didn't get that. I've heard rumblings in the past of people talking about human life evolving on Mars, and that's why, like, there's so many bad backs and stuff like that in society is because there's too much gravity on Earth. We're not used to it. Yeah, there's a lot of speculation. Of course, Bob Dean uh, said that uh, he thinks there's a city the size of Chicago under the under the surface of Mars, and one of one of the uh, one of the pictures that was taken of the surface seems to show an underground city. 
Um, so there's that to deal with. And Andy Bissajo said he was teleported there, and that we have we do have communities on Mars underground. Hmm. You never know. So what when you get back to that our evolution there, what's your belief in do you think that we were planted here as humans or do you think that some sort of primitive species was modified uh into what we are now? I don't know about the species that uh Sitchin claims was created four hundred thousand years ago as a slave race. I don't know about that. I don't know who they were, if they're still here. But what you and I know as the human race today was not the race that was created 400,000 years ago by the Anunnaki, as far as I'm concerned. I don't believe that at all. I think we came here sometime after the dinosaurs uh, were destroyed, and uh, that would have been probably around 65 million years ago. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. 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 I think the didn't the dinosaurs what what they destroyed supposedly sixty five million yeah, years ago. Yeah, 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 right around there. Yeah. So you think, think it was that far back, eh? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I don't think that we are the race that Sitchin is referring to. So do you think like like the fact that different types of life on Earth are 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 so closely related in DNA. Do you think that's a universal thing then? Like if we went, if we like uh, say, perhaps an entity from Serpo would would have that same sort of similarity in DNA. No, the 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 Ebens are not are not really do not have the same uh, physiology or biology as humans do. They appear to be they appear to be sort of like they look human. They're smaller. They're brown skinned but we discovered that their uh, their biology is very different. However, there are, I believe, humans throughout the galaxy on many, many planets. Not We're not alone on this planet. The human race is all over the place in this galaxy. Just, re just recently, or, or have we been all over the place for a while? Long time, long time. The Pleiadians are basically humans. And we're very closely related to the Pleiadians, and also to the Andromedans in a way, but mostly the Pleiadians. But all of I think all the humans uh, did originate in the Lyra, in the Lyra galaxy, L-Y-R-A. And there were some very, very, uh, very, very destructive wars that took place uh, between the reptilians and the humans, and that uh, caused them to have to leave the Lyran system. Hmm. But uh, I think we are basically newcomers to this planet. What, what about the Raelians? Where do they fit into all that? I don't know about those. I don't know who the Raelians are. I'm oh, sorry. I don't know. No, because we want to have somebody on about that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't, there's a group called the Tall Whites uh, that supposedly we are hosting in the Nevada desert. Uh that's one of the groups we're dealing with. But we're, I think we're dealing with about 10 different groups at this point. Hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a whole list at the front of the book, I think, actually. I could fire a few of them off here. Where was that? Nah. That's right. Anonymous mentions nine nine different groups. Yeah, the, the Greys, the Ebens. Some of them are hard to pronounce. 
Yeah, some of them are artificial life forms, too. Yeah, like I think the greys are probably artificial, right? Well, I think Graham's artificial. Anonymous mentioned some cloned and some partially human, partially uh, cyborg, cyborgian that we're dealing with. But they can make decisions and they uh, have intelligence. It's an amazing story. I mean, the people we get into it, the more incredible it becomes. Well, Len, we'd, we'd like to really thank you for coming on the show. Um, the hour just flew by. Um, so again, uh, for the listeners, the book is Secret Secret Journey to Planet Serpo, A True Story of Interplanetary Travel uh, by Len Caston. And uh, thanks a lot, Len. Before we let you go, is there anything else uh, you'd like to, to let our listeners know where they can find you, maybe anything upcoming or anything like that? I will be giving a talk uh, to the MUFON group here in Phoenix on July 26th. Mm. And if they want more information about me or about uh, about the book and about my first book, Secret History of Extraterrestrials, they can go to my website, uh, which is www.et-secrethistory.com. And they can order either book directly through me at that point or click through to Amazon or to the publisher, either way. Perfect. Are you on the, the Twitter or the Facebook or anything like that? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Yeah, you can find me on Facebook. All Perfect. right. Well, we'll link to all that all that stuff in the show notes. And uh, again, that book was quite fascinating. It's a uh, it's a great read, and uh, we recommend it to all our listeners. Okay. And thanks a lot. Nice yeah, to talk you. Yeah. Thanks for uh, coming on. Welcome back to the Grammarica Show. That was our chat with Mr. Len Caston. Yeah, that was a good one. Some of that stuff, I don't know. It's uh, Some of it seems like a little much, but um, uh, fuck, anything's possible these days. You never know, man. All these big UFO sightings all over the globe. What's your thought? I like to hold a tiny little bit of hope that stuff like that actually You're may happen. All in. I'm not all in. I'm all in. <laughs> No, I, I, you know, it's an interesting concept for sure. I mean, who knows? Maybe one day that's what we'll find out. I mean, look, other guys like Dolan and stuff have talked about the secret space program. Like somebody's responsible for all these sightings of massive craft. So, look, I'm not going to discount like actual sightings that are reinforced by radar and multiple observers and all this stuff. So, where the fuck are they coming from? Uh, interesting that well, it's straight up extraterrestrial no in no dimensions no nothing just yeah nuts and bolts wormholes and hmm. well yeah that's i definitely guarantee uh, recommend the book have a have a read of the book he's got everything like documented in the back supplies like the whole nine yards yeah it's a pretty extensive story i mean if it was fake somebody put a f- hell of a lot of effort into it it's just too bad that it's it's a lot of it seems uh, 
like just word of mouth from from a source, right? Like you know, the anonymous guy. Yeah, isn't that always the case, though, right? Yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, Next we'd like week, to thank. Len. Yeah, thanks, Len, for coming on. Um, and uh, next week, of course, we're going to jump into the Raelians. So, um, and uh, of course, uh, as always, spam the shit out of Graham. Um, he hasn't been getting enough lately. Forward him your junk mail, Graham at Grahamerica dot com. Uh, send in your synchronicities. Don't spell it how Darren says it, please. It's G R A H A M. Graham, Graham at Grahamerica.com. And uh, yeah, send in your synchronicities and I'll crush your dreams. And uh, tell a friend, tell your friends about Grahamerica, spread the word, put up the flyers. And um, we got uh, some new reviews on iTunes. So, oh, did we? Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. those are always good. Review yeah. us on iTunes, give us a five star rating or that helps. a one star rating if you feel it's appropriate. And uh, that helps, uh, everything helps kind of grow the show, grow the clout, grow everything, and we can keep this baby rolling and get some of the guests that some of you guys have suggested. Uh, so, yeah, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. Five bucks a month gets you a Grimerica email address. Darren will set up for you. Yeah, and that's going to be a limited club, so it'll be like a few years down the road, you know, when we've when we've really taken off, you'll be like the one of 50 people that's got a Grimeric email address. So you put that shit on your resume. <laughs> and it helps out the show, and we want to give some money back. So Moneybomb will roll Joey over next free. month, and we will be giving away 100 bucks minimum. That's it. But it has, to, it has to, we need a little bit more to make that happen, so... So, all right, guys, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the chat with Len Caston. Uh, have a good weekend. All my bags are packed, I'm ready to go. I'm standing here outside the door. I hate to wake you up to say goodbye. The dawn is breaking, it's early morning. The text is waiting, he's blowing his horn. Already I'm so.
baby girl, you don't have to worry, you know what we faithful. I just hope and wish you do the same. Here be an angel. Did out in Ako Bona de Man and I see for so here, don't want the tongue.